Our reading comes from the Gospel of John today. We do have a tradition of standing for the reading of the Gospel if you would like to do that in your home. Or if you'd like to open your Bible and join me, we are in John chapter 21, verses 1 through 14. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. They went out, got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? And they answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple who Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and he jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish, for there were not far from the land, but only about a hundred yards off. And when they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, a hundred and fifty-three of them, and though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This is now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Let us hear where the Holy Spirit takes us on this day. Church, let's pray together. Come, Holy Spirit. Show us the capacity of our hearts. Lead us in the way of inspiration and illumination. Give us the gift of hearing your word anew. This is what we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So for those of you who live here in the Tulsa area, you will remember that 12 days ago, the tornado sirens went off in the evening. We had been told by the National Weather Service that we were to be on alert for severe weather even a few days ahead of those storms. And in our house, perhaps in yours as well, 
that means you make a few preparations, right? We wanted to make sure that our weather alert radio was working, and we knew that that day we needed to keep an eye on the sky, and Kurt had cleaned some of the things out of the closet that we used for shelter, but we don't stop our life because there might be a tornado. So when the sirens went off that evening, I was upstairs in the office working, and I got a text from my husband that said, time to come downstairs. Can you feel that shift? It means you have to change your focus and prioritize very quickly. Now, living in Oklahoma my whole life, I can tell you it's almost second nature for me to imagine what it's going to be like to emerge from our shelter to find our home damaged by a tornado. And so I've had some practice in thinking about what would I need in that moment? Shoes. That's always the first thing that comes to my mind because rarely do I have those on at home. And I think, I I want to make sure that I have my shoes on. I want to make sure I have my computer and my phone. That's usually next. Then this time, uh, a few weeks ago, I thought about my water bottle. I want to make sure I have that. And then normally there's sort of this PS of, oh, my wallet. I'm going to make sure I want to have my driver's license and, you know, the things that, that I keep in my wallet. And that's about as far as I get because we're in a hurry, right? We pivot in that moment from what we were doing to making preparations for what is to come. Brothers and sisters in Christ, what I would say to you today is that we are living through a moment in history that is much like the experience I just narrated for you. Most of us did not spend years preparing for a pandemic, even though the warnings were there. Your employer didn't plan for the rules of engagement for their business to change in a day. Your church, I can promise you, did not plan to be completely digital overnight. And you didn't plan, a, plan to finish the school year homeschooling your children. But we got that text, time to come downstairs, and we made a pivot. I want to suggest to you that the disciples in this text that we heard this morning, they are living through a similar moment all throughout his earthly ministry, but particularly in those final months and weeks, Jesus was preparing them for what was to come, his death and resurrection. We are reading from John's gospel today, and there's this beautiful soliloquy that lasts four whole chapters in John's gospel. John 14, 15, 16, and 17. And all throughout those whole four chapters, Jesus is preparing them. Still, they're not ready. And it happened anyway. Jesus was crucified and then resurrected three days later. Talk about a pivot, right? So this this sermon series that Pastor Heather and I are in during the season that we call Eastertide, we titled it The Heart of the Matter because clarity happens through necessity in days like this. You get that text, time to come downstairs, right? And you pivot, I think about the text that the disciples must have gotten from Mary Magdalene the morning that she discovers the empty tomb. You're not going to believe this. That's another one of those texts. And in that moment, you pivot. The heart of the matter becomes obvious quickly. So during these 50 days of Eastertide, we are watching for the heart of the matter in the resurrection appearances of Jesus. What does he show them 
that moves them from followers to leaders. Their role changed in that moment of crucifixion and resurrection. They, they are no longer followers. Now they're going to have to lead this movement. What is it that changes for them? As we examine today's text, with that in mind, I want to invite you, if you have your Bibles out, to follow with me. Uh, John, even chapter 20, but chapter 21, verses 1 through 14. Let's just notice some things about this text as we go down and, and, and read this story again. First of all, notice that in verse 1 of chapter 21, the narrator is telling you what to expect. He's telling you that Jesus is going to show up. And what you have to understand as the reader of the story is that the characters in this story, the disciples, they have no idea. So you have been let in on a piece of information that's obviously important. But those that are acting out this story, living this story, they have no idea. You also would know that in the previous chapter, Jesus has already shown up three times. He showed up first to Mary Magdalene the morning of the resurrection at the tomb. Then he showed up to the disciples when they were locked in a room later that evening. And then he came back a week later and showed up to Thomas because Thomas wasn't there the first time he showed up to the disciples. And what you know as the reader is it's getting ready to happen again. It would be worth pondering three times. Three times Jesus has already shown up why did those previous appearances not change the disciples? Today's text indicates that we don't know how long it has been since the resurrection, but they haven't gone their separate ways. They haven't given up and, and gone back home. They're still together, but they haven't figured out what comes next. So Peter makes this statement in the gospel text. I'm going fishing. And it elicits the most action we've seen from them so far. Immediately they get on board. Great, we'll go with you. And the story tells us that they fish all night long and they have caught nothing. And at daybreak, Jesus shows up but is unrecognized. And this, this person on the, the shoreline says to them, why don't you cast your net on the other side? Suggest to them that they change tactics. And when they do, can you feel the shift, the absolute pivot in the story? They catch so many fish. They can't even bring the net into the boat. That's the pivot. Even you can see it in the story. They have the net on one side of the boat and they put it on the other side of the boat. Can you feel that movement? The beloved disciple then names Jesus. He recognized him. He said, it's the Lord. And Peter, oh Peter, impulsive Peter, jumps in the water to get to Jesus. And then everybody else follows suit, brings this boat, hauling this net of fish behind it, just so they can be with Jesus. And once on the shore, notice that Jesus feeds them breakfast. Much like Last week's story from Luke's gospel, it is the meal that provides the holy space for transformation. Jesus has 50 days from the resurrection to the ascension to transform this band of followers into those who can lead. In each of these resurrection experiences, he's giving them what they're going to need to make that transformation 
And in this experience, notice that what he does is he sparks their imagination. I love that. I think that's so beautiful. What helps them after they've had to make the pivot? What is it that helps them move to transformation? It is the gift of imagination. And imagination always starts with two words. What if? What if you cast your net on the other side of the boat? So if you've read through the Gospels, one of the things you recognize is that all throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, he's constantly offering versions of when you do what you've always done, you'll get what you've always got. He's trying to break open their imagination all throughout those three years of his earthly ministry. But now, now it's crucial, friends. They have to be able to imagine something new because he knows that within literally a matter of days, he is not going to be with them any longer to help them. So can you just imagine how disheartened they must have, he must have been to come back and find them fishing? The only action that they've taken since the resurrection, and they go back to doing what they were doing before he came along, fishing. He's got to get them to shift, shift their expectations, shift their assumptions about reality, shift their very approach to life. You can think about it, he's got to like jumpstart them, right? Get them thinking in a, in a new direction. So I ask us this morning to consider, what does it look like for us to have made a pivot, but we can't stop there? We have to move to transformation, just like Jesus had to move them from followers to leaders. As I have been making this pivot, trying to imagine transformation as a leader. Friends, what's being asked of me as a pastor is so different than what I thought my job was seven weeks ago. And you're finding this in all areas of your life as well. And I so relate to Peter's statement. I'm going to go fishing. Right? You could interpret that as, y'all go ahead and stay in this room together if you want, if it makes you feel safer, but I'm going to go back to what I know. I need to get back to normal. I can't do this anymore. You could interpret it other ways as well, but I do think that's a reasonable interpretation of the text. It's in that moment when they are trying to go back to what they know, trying to go back to normal, that Jesus shows up again. I, I want to remind you that Jesus has already shown up three times. He showed up to Mary Magdalene. He showed up to the disciples that night in a locked room, and he came back to show up to Thomas because Thomas wasn't there the first time, and he shows up again. Why? Why? We don't know. The text doesn't say why today was the day that he decided to show up again, but my preacher's hunch tells me that he saw what was happening. He saw that Peter needed to get back to normal, and the rest of the disciples were willing to follow him because at least he was going to do something. He wasn't just going to sit around waiting. And Jesus came to say, oh no, no you don't. I hunch that Jesus intended to light a fire under them. That's what my grandmother would always say. Somebody needs to light a fire under them. And I think that's kind of how Jesus shows up, right? He's like, no, no, you can't go back to what it was before. You cannot. 
But what's beautiful about this is that he does it through a gift of imagination. He doesn't, he doesn't uh, nail them. He doesn't shame them, right? He says, what if, what if you tried something new? What if you got out of your box? You think you're supposed to fish on this side of the boat? No, just put your net over on the other side of the boat. See what happens, right? What if you trusted me and did what I asked? What if, what, what could happen? Friends, notice this, imagination is what moved them to transformation. So over the last couple of weeks, I've been online a lot. Been listening to webinars, reading tons of blog posts, talking to my colleagues, and we all want to know the same thing. So what is the new normal going to look like? What is church going to look like in a week, in two weeks, in a month, next year, 2021? There is this consensus that's emerging, just like it is in all areas of our life together, that this is not an interruption. This isn't something we're going to wait out, and then we're going to get back to normal. This is a disruption. So I want to point out that our gospel text for today offers us so much hope. Part of the reason I believe that Jesus showed up that day, that morning when they were fishing and they'd been out all night long trying to go back to normal, is to remind them, friends, this is not an interruption. This is a disruption. You had to make a pivot. When the crucifixion happened and three days later the resurrection happened, that's what we call a game changer. Okay, you're not going to go back to normal after that. Don't you know they were upset and resentful? That's probably what they were sharing together as they were hanging out in that room. I, I just don't want to do this. I don't like this. This makes me angry or this makes me sad or I just want to go back to my friends and my family. I want to go back to the way it was. And, and Jesus shows up to say, you're not going back. You're not. This isn't an interruption. This is a disruption. How appropriate for us today, friends. This is where we are. We're not going back. We can't. We can't go back. So let's look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And what does he do for the disciples? He ignites their imagination. May it be so for us right? He says, can you just imagine the huge haul of fish that's waiting for you if you will just cast your nets on the other side of the boat? This is our chance, friends, to imagine something completely new. We have made the pivot. We didn't have a choice. We got the text, time to come downstairs. And we did. But now the question is, will we be transformed? We can do this, friends. Just like the disciples, we can do this. We can be the people that God is calling us to be. Amen. Amen.